0: Well, it's Florida-Georgia week. You guys know what that means. Biggest cocktail party in college football in Jacksonville. We'll talk to Matt Baker, our college football writer at the Tampa Bay Times, about that and all things college football coming up in just a minute. First, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as they continue their preparations for Thursday night football. That's right. At Buffalo, the Bucs will be departing after practice today to head up to New York. And, of course, they will play Josh Allen and the Bills coming off a loss themselves to the New England Patriots. Uh, this is a very important game. They're all important at this point, right? They, it's just that's what you get 17 of these opportunities, and the Bucks have four of the next five on the road, starting with a very tough game uh, at, a, at a tough venue to play. I mean, these fans are rabid. It's going to be uh, a good time to play them uh, this time of year. It's not going to be too cold, probably a little uh, sometime in the, in the 50s, maybe I think temperatures are expected to be. Uh, but the bucks have to bounce back and of course the big problem has been the offense they have not scored any points six points then 13 points the last two weeks they had their opportunities in the red zone against the atlanta falcons and lost that game so now they are three and three atlanta falcons are four and three and in control of the nfc south so this would be a good one to get they've lost three of their last four two in a row and uh it doesn't get easier from here so We'll see what the Bucks are able to do. Um, some injury news: uh, Baker Mayfield still kind of hobbled a little bit with that knee. He was limited in practice. These are all walk through practices, um, so they're they're not that significant in terms of exerting any any kind of uh, you know physical uh, problems because uh, they're really just trying to get their bodies back for Thursday night football. Vita Vea has a groin injury; he did not practice. And I think the guy that you got to watch really closely is Matt Filer, their guard on the left side there. He also uh, has a knee injury. He has not practiced all week or would not have practiced as they had to project that on Monday. But, um, you know, I think there's a chance that you could see Aaron Stinney or you could see Nick Leverett possibly playing against, uh, you know, the Buffalo Bills on Thursday night. But we'll have to see uh, just what the status of Matt Filer is going to be this week. I know he toughed it out and kind of got through that game. Tristan Worth said he tried to give him as much help as he could over there knowing that he was playing on one leg. But uh, that one seems to be a, a, a fairly significant injury for a short week at least. So you might see the first change on the offensive line uh, this season. Um, one of the stories I wrote in the Tampa Bay Times and on Tampa Bay.com you want to check out, it's about Antoine Winfield Jr. It turns out, and a bunch of players talked about this a little bit to us on Tuesday, that after Sunday's game, and it was a very uh, emotional loss, of course the Bucs sc- scoring late to tie the game, with 45 seconds left on a, uh, you know, Chase McLaughlin's field goal, didn't get it in from the eight-yard line three tries and had to settle for that to tie the game, but then the defense broke down uh, on the last possession and of course they gave up uh, a big play, you know, to get the Atlanta Falcons into field goal range and uh, they kicked the 51-yarder with no time left on the clock and the Bucks lose a game in which uh, they were able to get three turnovers. Uh, really inside their own 10-yard line and, 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 and wasted an opportunity to take a pretty sizable advantage in the NFC South. So instead, they're in second place looking up. But after the game, and this is the story that you want to check out on the Tampa Bay Times and in com, the guy that brought them up following the game and wanted to say something, and it's news when he speaks out like this to the group, was Antoine Winfield Jr., who might have been – well, not might have been. I think, I think he is the most valuable player on their defense, but certainly in that game. you got to understand the game that Winfield Jr. had. Not only did he uh, have a couple passes defense, a bunch of tackles, but he also saved a couple of touchdowns. Um, you know, he, he was able to knock out uh, a receiver, you know, at, at the one-yard line, looked like a fumble. Then on the next play, they did fumble a snap. And then late in the game, which would have been a put-away touchdown, Desmond Ritter is is almost walking into the end zone. Winfield Jr. never stopped hustling, and he batted the ball out of his hands, kind of a peanut Tillman punch, if you will, and it went through the end zone for a touchback, and that kept the Bucks in the game. Um, that never-say-die, that that playmaking attitude that he has is so infectious for Antoine Winfield, and that's why he's been such a good player this year and through the years for the Bucks. But he doesn't talk a lot. He's not a he's not a rah rah guy. He's not a guy that you're gonna um, typically. He would address the team very much. Well, guess what? Uh, it turns out, and Baker Mayfield first mentioned this in his press conference on Tuesday, that after the game, Antoine Winfield Jr. brought the team up and 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 very you know uh, quietly, as, as only he can do, um, basically, according to Mayfield, questioned his team and said, "Look." Um, how great do you want to be? You know, we have a lot of great leaders in this team and a lot of guys that have played a lot of ball. Um, So let's do our jobs first and see where this thing goes. And, you know, the, the breakdowns late in the games and things like that. Mayfield said, look, you know, Winfield's a key leader. He's made it. He made a ton of plays in that game. And there's a lot of guys we can lean on as leadership and, you know, everyone else has to kind of fall into line and, we talked to Mayfield a little bit on Tuesday and you know, he just said that he had something to say. He wanted to get it off his chest that he says, you know, we we've gotta close these games out. Like, you know, we've gotta play better. We've gotta win these close games like that. And that pretty much summarizes it. We just gotta find a way to win. Everybody took it well. We we're trying to win here. We're all professionals. I just felt like it needed to be said, and I said what I said, and I feel like I'm a man of few words. But when I say something, I really mean it. And that's the key, right? Like a lot of guys talk, and, and there's a lot of leaders in that locker room. But Antoine Winfield Jr. does it with his play. And, you know, the Bucks' defense has been good this year. They, they've allowed 20 or fewer points in five their six games. So that's, that's nothing to, to really be upset about. But they've always had a couple plays in every game, especially in the loss, that they've kind of had a missed communication they've had something go wrong um and and that was the case in this game you know where Kyle Pitts was able to get loose and and have a have a 39-yard completion that set up the game-winning field goal so you know just in talking to the various players about this speech that Winfield Jr game gave Tristan Worf said that you know he pretty much told us how good do you want to be it's up to us to write our own story our destiny's in front of us we gotta go out and take it, like it's up to the guys in this locker room, like you know, forget about the coaches, don't put it on them, all that um, so he said, coming from him, everybody listens, like all eyes were on him. It was really cool to see him you know step up in that moment um so I think that you know with winfield he he demonstrates with his play and he's a leader, and he does that every single week. But as Larry Foote said, if your best player is fighting and defending every blade of grass. Guess what? Everybody should be doing it. And um, kind of a cool story. Check it out on Tampa Bay.com and in the Tampa Bay Times. Hey, you guys already know it's hurricane season in Florida, but there's still time to keep the power on without breaking the bank. And that's getting solar battery backup power from May Electric Solar. With solar battery backup power, there's no fuel cost, there's no loud generator noise, no annual maintenance cost, plus, May Electric Solar offers a 15 year warranty. Now, solar battery backup can save you hundreds of dollars each month. And if you lose power, A generator could cost you over $2,000 a week just to keep your house running. New solar battery backup systems qualify for a 30% tax credit, or you can add a battery to your existing M phase solar system. Trust the pros in solar to learn more about May Electric Solar Battery Backup or to get started. Call 727-819-2862 or visit mayelectricsolar.com. All right, best time of the week. We get to talk some college football with Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times. You read them on tampabay.com. So, Matt, you were at Florida State and Duke last week. And, of course, we're going to get into the – we're not ignoring the obvious, right? It's Florida-Georgia week, uh, you know, world's largest cocktail. You'll be at that game. That's the one we want to talk about. I'm going to save the best for last. Let's do that. Um, but I did want to start with Florida State and Duke since you were there. Sort of let me have your take away from the game because I, I don't know. You know, Riley Leonard, the Duke quarterback, played uh, sort of coming off that ankle injury, aggravated it, I, certainly that – is is a factor in the game. Um, But just what did you, what did you make of Florida state's performance uh, in, in taking down the blue devils, which is only their second loss of the season.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me on. So let's, let's start with the Riley Leonard thing, because I didn't really mention that in my game story. And I had some people upset with me because that was a turning point, which, which it was, but, and Riley Leonard is a great player. We talked about it last week. He's an NFL quarterback. Uh, he's not a linebacker, though, right? <laughs> like, Good point. He, he wasn't going to be tackling Jordan Travis. He wasn't going to be tackling Lawrence Toffoli. Uh, yeah. So, yes, his absence absolutely hurt. It affected things. If he's healthy, then maybe things turn out a little bit different. But he's not the reason Florida State scored three touchdown, or I think it was, uh, touchdowns on their final three drives. Mm -hmm. he's not so Mm -hmm. um that's that's my first thought my my second thought is to to get to where florida state wants to go you're gonna have to play games like this where this wasn't a dominant performance in the first couple quarters and and Mm -hmm. um all credit to duke duke is a good team they are good they are every bit a top 20 team maybe better than that I would not be shocked at all if Florida State ends up playing Duke for the ACC championship yeah, in December. I could see so, that. So, give credit to Duke there, but Florida State also did some stuff that Duke had no control over, right? Like there were two drives that started with a penalty, just just procedural stuff, and there was an offsides on a kickoff, It just just some stupid stuff. And mm-hmm. Florida, you, you can't do that if you're going to beat a good opponent or a very good opponent. But the fact is, Florida State did some of that, and. You know, didn't play their best game for two and a half, three quarters, and beat the number sixteen team in the country by eighteen points.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean like, that's the thing. They scored thirty eight on them. I mean, it wasn't you know, the it, end of the it, day, it wasn't close.
1: Correct. And, and and it's again, this is not like this is a, a crappy Duke defense. No, that is a very good Duke defense. They are where they're supposed to be. They don't miss a ton of tackles. They are well, you know, well coached. They are sound to score thirty eight on them. That's pretty freaking impressive, and and mm. I came away. It was comparable to, to how I viewed LSU in a lot of ways, where it's you know it's just different because the matchups are very different. LSU is a lot more athletic. Duke is just kind of more sound. Um, but either way, it was similar in the sense that Florida State kicked it open in the second half in the fourth quarter to turn a, a close game into a, a blowout, and if they can keep doing that man, it it was, I I said it after the LSU game, that's a team that can win a national championship. And in what I saw in the final 20 minutes or so Saturday, that's a team that can win a national championship if they can string it together enough.
0: Yeah. And, and I, you know, the more I look at Florida state, like when you get to these, these big games and I don't know who, who is left, you can speak to who is left on their schedule. Obviously they got to play Florida, but who's left on their schedule, that might trip them up because it feels like they need to go undefeated for, for whatever reason with the ACC this year. Um, but when I look at them, I think about points, right? I think about – you got it's about scoring points, and you're going to have to have some explosive plays, and their quarterback is absolutely a Heisman Trophy candidate. And you wrote a story that I thought was really interesting about how Jordan Travis is a, a bit of a perfectionist, frankly, and he has put all this pressure on himself. Now, it probably – added to it was Mike Norvell walking by the trophy case and saying, hey, there's a bunch of Heisman trophies there. You could add the next one. Um, But they had a meeting before the game. Tell us about that.
1: Well, first of all, you were just talking about the the Florida State offense and how good they are. I was just double-checking the stat. 13 games in a row where they've scored uh, at at least 30 points.
0: Wow. Is that right? I didn't realize that. That's that's special. It's the longest streak
1: in the country. Second longest in ACC history behind the 2012-2014 uh, FSU, which was pretty Second longest
0: in ACC history. That's something, yeah.
1: Yeah, so th- the offense is doing what, you know, I said this last mm-hmm. week, but they're doing what I thought they could do from Norvell at Memphis once he got the dudes. And one of those dudes is, is Jordan Travis. And, um, you know, just listen to, um after the, I was at the Syracuse game, and, and Norvell was asked about Jordan Travis being kind of hard on himself, and, and visibly so, uh, after some of the, you know, just some of the mistakes he made were—I don't even want to call them mistakes all the time, but just, you know, it throws a little bit off and he's frustrated mm-hmm. with himself. Um, and, and Mike talked about that a little bit, but it comes to find out that the, the next day uh, Norvell and Jordan Travis had a talk and, you know, just normal kind of check-in thing. And one of the things Norvell told him is kind of, uh, you know, don't press too much. Don't try and force stuff. Go back to who you are and have fun. And you could definitely see Jordan having fun uh, on Saturday against Duke. I went back and looked at the Syracuse game and him pounding the the turf after there was a a bobbled snap or a high snap and he scrambles and gets five yards. So, I mean, could have been a five yard loss or worse and he gets five yards. That's, that's a good you take that right um but he's pounding the turf because he's frustrated and and there are a couple things like that and then look at the way he played against duke where he's just a lot more excited a lot more exuberant and you could tell he was having fun and i i went back in my head and i I wrote this too but i was reminded of the joe madden line never let the pressure exceed the pleasure yeah exactly and and i think there was some of that and and again you can see why Uh, you know uh, Norvell had mentioned Travis uh, a couple of years ago as a Heisman candidate, putting that pressure on him, putting that seed in his head. And then, you know, you're three and O you're four and O you're six and O all that stuff adds up and, and I could see where it would, it would weigh you down. And I think it was important for Mike to kind of take a step back there and let him breathe. And that's one of those things where if they get to where we think they can go, uh, just a reminder like that, Hey, have fun. Like, yeah, it's the pressure and the stakes and all that stuff. Yeah, but have fun, too. Like, th- this is a remarkable thing. You're going to remember this the rest of your life. Enjoy it a little bit.
0: Do you think, and I like I said, I we can go over the schedule, but, I mean, do you think that there's a recognition or maybe an expectation that they have to be perfect this year, that that, that will weigh on them simply because, you know, people look at strength of schedule and different things like that. Can they lose a game? Like, what – what would cause them to fall out of the uh, out of the national championship picture? Is that is that at all you think a factor in this?
1: I think human nature would say that it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you only it, have to
0: it, win every game,
1: right? I mean, like, yeah, absolutely, and preferably with some style points so you can be yeah, a, exactly. the two seater or whatever, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, you could definitely see that, and just on the practical level, I think we talked about it last week that. Maybe they could you can invent a scenario where they can get in with one loss.
0: You could, yeah.
1: But and, and you know, the fact that Duke is good and, and LSU, like if they win the West or maybe win the SEC, which is that crazy will help. talk. Yeah, that make that helps that. And you know, if Miami turns things, you know, they build on the Clemson win and they finish nine and three or something like yeah, you could make it you could make it work. But right. realistically they probably do have to go twelve and zero, and then thirteen and zero to to get in, and and yeah, that type of stuff can absolutely weigh on you, and if mm-hmm. you're not careful, it can suffocate you. To be frank, um, yeah. we've we've seen that type of stuff in the past, and sure. so so, and, and that's not where Jordan is going to be at his best. That that's you know, you go back and I watched the, some of the the Florida game from last year, which was peak Jordan Travis. Yeah, and was. it was clear he was having fun, right. and. and you know, everybody's different. Everybody handles it different, but I think for him to be the best Jordan Travis, he can be, he's going to have a chip on his shoulder and he's going to be screw it. Let's have some freaking fun. And that didn't happen against Syracuse, but it looked from my vantage point and what he said afterward that it happened against Duke.
0: This might've just been like part of the game and I did not watch all of it. Um, But I did notice where he had a lot of rushing yards and, you know, for a guy like that, you want to make sure that he protects himself, number one, but but he is a, he is a very mobile, athletic kid. Um, but did the
1: running say to
0: you a little bit that, like, yeah, he's just out there playing ball?
1: Absolutely, freaking lutely it did. So, yeah, Jordan didn't run a ton uh, all, all season, really. Uh, there were bits and pieces here and there, but it wasn't anything like what we saw at, at Florida, which was kind of the peak Jordan Travis. It, it was... Um, it just wasn't there. And some of that was because he was banged up, right? He had the the shoulder issue and uh, against Syracuse, it looked like he might've hurt his hand or something, just a little banged up and you needed to be smart about it. But Saturday for Florida state to win, I think just probably the schematics and the matchups and everything that, that it worked X's and O's wise. And just Duke was again, a really good team. They needed Jordan Travis to, to run. And he went from, I think it was, he was credited with three carries in the first half um, but one of them was the fumble, and one of them was the sack, and then he had 68 rushing yards in the final 20 minutes, and, and that's, Sheesh, that's that's a Jordan, lot. yeah. But but that's Jordan Travis, right? Like that's yeah, yeah. that's the Jordan Travis where he is at his best, where he is a special player, and where he is a, a Heisman candidate. So I, I think going forward, we're going to see a little bit more of it, just because I think he's healthy. Um, I don't know that we need to see that against Wake. I don't know that we need to see that against Pitt because both of them suck. But you look at Miami on November 11th, and certainly you look at Florida at the end of the year. Those are ones where we might need to see a a vintage Jordan Travis performance for for Florida State to to win and continue building this. He
0: certainly has everything, uh, and you know leadership on top of that. So yeah, it's good to see uh, that that some of that pressure maybe may have abated a little bit. And and you know as they get through the season. Uh, it'll start to build again. But uh, but a great performance against Duke, which I agree with you. They're a very good football team. They've done a nice job up there. Okay, let's talk. As we're going to get to the Florida-Georgia game, I'm saving that for last. You guys have to listen to the whole podcast. I'm not going to go straight to the Gators here just yet. But let's talk just quickly about USF because, um, look, Alex Golish's team had given up a ton of points in, in, in two previous games, and yet uh, – you know they they go against UConn, which is one of the worst teams in Division One football. Let's not kid ourselves. Jim Moore Jr. I don't know what he's doing, still coaching, but hey, he must love the game, and he's out there. So good for him. And he was pretty intense. On top of that, I was like, Jim, mm-hmm. calm down. You got look like you got some veins popping there, buddy. Uh, you take it easy. But they fell behind. They were late, like they had to rally and have a couple of two late touchdowns. But you know what? This time with USF and and, and Alex Golish in his first year. All I'm thinking about, if I'm a USF fan or even a casual guy watching it like I did on Saturday, is get the dub. You got the dub. However you have to get it, it's about wins, baby. And now, Matt, they're in position, if you look at the schedule, have a realistic chance at a bowl game.
1: Definitely. I, I want to say one more thing on Florida State, just to backtrack. Yeah, because sure, absolutely. I, I want you, the listener, to do my job for me. This is very important. <laughs> okay. I, I had two readers within like 10 minutes the other day ask me, um, because uh, Deuce Span from Lakewood High School had ripped off the 99-yard kickoff yard, or 99 yard kickoff return for a touchdown. Right. And Lawrence Toafili from Pinellas Park had a touchdown as well. So I had two people ask me, when was the last time two Pinellas County guys scored in the same game for fsu i could not find an example in my quick research i haven't done all of it yet so if you know the answer email me and save me a bunch of work mbaker at bay.com. please do my job for me so i can you know slack off and watch uh western kentucky liberty more of that okay let me
0: hold on let me ask you a question about this because i want to make sure of the contest
1: uh does tampa bay area include bradenton Just Pinellas is what I'm looking at. Just Pinellas, okay. okay, Uh, okay. Because there were a couple times uh, Ryan Green, he was a St. Pete Catholic kid. He scored the same day like James Wilder did, I think, from Plant, and and or Christian Green from Tampa Catholic. So I found a couple— but I was trying to just find Pinellas, and I've been going back on rosters, and it's it's not like an easy. Oh yeah, here, here's the guy. No,
0: it's, oh it's somebody's going to get this. I promise. Somebody's going to
1: get it, and I will appreciate it because you will save me a bunch of work, so I can do other things instead. And
0: they, and they can they can hit you on Twitter, or they can they can text you m baker at tampa bay. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm like uh, Coach Prime says, I ain't hard to find, so. <laughs> Exactly. All, All right. right, back to you, USF, and they
0: always important win over UConn, and 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 a possibility at least of becoming bowl eligible with two more wins.
1: Yes, it it was a, an important win over UConn. I mean, U- UConn they've been awful. We don't need to to rehash that, right? But USF has been bad too. So mm-hmm. let's let's not make this you know let's not uh, kid ourselves with this for for USF to go on the road because again this was on the road yep. where things are a little bit tougher and to come back the way they did in the second half down 21-10 in, early in the fourth quarter and score a couple touchdowns to win it that shows you a lot and, and again I I wasn't looking for like enormous things out of Alex Golish and his team year one it, it's no. a, you know he's, he's a first time head coach we know four wins in three years all that stuff we, we we understand we've talked about it so for them to be 4 and 4 it was a it ended up being a different way to get there than I probably would have expected, um, the way they started. And then obviously the UAB loss and everything else. But if you would have told me at the start of the year, they'd be four and four at this point, I would have said you absolutely take that. If you're a Bulls fan. Shoot, absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and if you look going forward, you know, they're, they're off this week, but you, you look at the schedule, uh, temple is bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. In a couple of weeks. And Charlotte is also not particularly good. I, I'm not saying those are, you know, don't put them in Sharpie. I'm not saying that. Right. But they are absolutely 100% winnable games. And if you they, you get there, then you got six, and you got a bowl game. And you know, for them to be playing in the Cure Bowl in Orlando or Myrtle Beach Bowl, I don't know wherever the heck it is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You get the practices, you get the exposure. There you go. You get the momentum. You get mm-hmm. fans excited. All that stuff matters, and at the point where they are, all those little little building blocks can add up and just get you where you want to go a little bit faster. And If you would have told me again in August that they'd be potentially going to a bowl, that would have been a remarkable achievement for, for Alex Golish in year one.
0: No doubt, and especially with what they went through over the past couple of years. It's all about winning now. It's all about dubs. Don't worry about who you beat. Just stack them up, and that's what they're doing. All right, we uh, promised we're going to deliver Florida-Georgia. Um, of course, first of all, one of the great rivalries in college football, Matt. You've been a part of a lot of these games. You've seen a lot of these games. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering for you, and, and this one seems like it's going to be competitive. We'll get into the matchups here in a minute. Obviously, Georgia's the number one team in the country. But for you, like, what is this week like uh, in in terms of some of the rivalries in college football? Because it's played on a neutral field, so to speak, uh, you know, we have Georgia fans and Florida fans coming together in Jacksonville. I mean, just what's, it's, it's as much a spectacle as it is a game,
1: right? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, there, there's no question. The, the process of getting to the stadium, th- there's a couple stadiums like it. I mean, uh, LSU is a nightmare to get to just like once you get to, (laughs) you can see the stadium, but how the heck are you going to get there? Like (laughs) that's a nightmare. Clemson was not the easiest. Obviously there's others as well, but this is a different kind of beast. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, the, the, the streets going in, the bridges going in are a parking lot and Mm -hmm. God help you. If you think you're supposed to be over here and you need to go over there, it's Mm -hmm. God help you and then walking in from the parking lot to the stadium the i mean it is the world's largest outdoor cocktail party it is a <laughs> it is just a massive humanity enjoying some uh adult beverages yes there and are. just getting through it is it's unlike anything else and you know i i'm not a huge jacksonville fan um i kind of wish this would be home and home occasionally just because i think it'd be cool for for florida fans you know, for Florida to play between the hedges and Georgia to to come down to this well. Now, like,
0: well, now, wait. When you say you're not a Jacksonville fan, are you? Are you indicting the entire city, or just it's a tough place to get to? because like, I hate the drive up there. I'll be honest with you. Like, I, I, I don't like. There's no great way to go, and it no, just seems like not. you know, uh, whether you take it through Gainesville, Callan, up the back way. Like, it,
1: it's just it is all it is an awkward place to get to. Yeah, I'm just not a fan of the, the whole. Yeah, if it were easier to get to from where we are, I yeah. might like it more. Yeah. Um, but it just the city just doesn't do it for me. I, I'm going gotcha. to get all sorts of hate mail, but that's okay. Yeah, but, well, that's okay. And the 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 stadium is fine. Um, it's not my favorite venue by any stretch of the imagination. Um, mm-hmm. I, I look forward to hitting the Wendy's on three hundred one and, and Stark. At <laughs> yeah, like you do. as <laughs> <Lincoln. laughs> Stark <laughs> is the is the place. <laughs> as usual I'm not even joking um but we're we're so soft rails but what it, what is cool though is the the split nature of it right like it, yes. the only other one like it is Oklahoma Texas where it's right down the middle and this That's is this, right this is the same way and there is definitely something cool to that and it's cool that um it's you know, I think this is the 91st meeting in Jacksonville between the teams all that stuff is very cool and there's a lot of history with it um mm-hmm. logistically it's not the easiest for me but you know what right. I that's okay. Nobody I, cares. I, yeah. Nobody. Nobody cares. And on come Saturday at three thirty. I'm not going to care either. No, you, know? you won't. You'll be in. Exactly, and, and it's one of those things where, like, if I ever am not excited about something like this, it's time to hang it up.
0: I but agree. I, I, I agree. Was,
1: I was pumped for Florida State Duke the other night. That was a great environment at Duke, and I am pumped for this on Saturday. Get me to game day. Let's go.
0: Oh, that would be great. And, and so let let's let's talk about this game. And and for starters, um it's probably an advantage for Florida, even though there's a lot of great players on the Georgia squad. There's no doubt. But Brock Bowers, who I don't even think it's an arguably is, is is their best NFL prospect is not going to play in this game. Um, so how much of a factor will that be uh, given his injury and, and all that's gone on with him this year?
1: It's significant. Uh, maybe even very significant. Um, I mean, the the way they used him, there's probably been some tight ends used like him in the past, but not very many. Um, you know, you, you, you think just, you know, the, when, probably the best tight end I've seen with my own eyes was Kyle Pitts a couple of years ago at Florida. He was a, oh, a, yeah. a freak among freaks. But it still Florida is. It still is. Um, sorry, Bucks fans. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but he's he was different because he was so tall and could run. But they didn't do, like, jet sweeps and runs no. the way they did with Brock. Yeah, and yeah. I think Brock was a better blocker as well. And obviously I I'm not agree. nitpicking Kyle Pitts, who's a sensational player. But you get my point. I think that's that's how special Brock Bowers was. And the Jeez. way they, they could move him around in different places, there's not a lot of tight ends who have been like that before. Nope. Um, so that's a significant loss because it's not like, oh, yeah, we got another Brock Bowers on the tree out back. Let's just put him in there. No, right. no you don't have that there, there, because there aren't any. And that, that tree doesn't exist. So it's going to be, it's going to look different, right? If they're still trying to stretch the defense or yeah, stretch the defense side to side, is there, who else is going to get those carries to, to kind of do a jet sweep, that type of thing um, who is going to block instead, who is going to go down on a seam pass over the middle. The, the answer to that might be three different people, right? So, or they could change things entirely. Like it wouldn't shock me if Kirby kind of said, you know what, we, our Swiss army knife, our big weapon here is gone. I'm going to go back to more of what I'm used to, which is a lot more ground and pound, kind of, you know, more 2017 Georgia than 2022 Georgia. So I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but it will look different. There's no question. And, you know, it, the line that I remember seeing right after the South Carolina game for Florida was Georgia by 20, something like that. And then last I saw, it was Georgia by 14. And I don't know if there's anything else going on or if the betters just think that. Brock Bowers is worth six points. To which case I would say, yeah, <laughs> I yeah, get that. that. That makes
0: sense. Yeah, he's going to get in the end zone. I mean, you know, I, so yeah, I get that's it. Just,
1: that's how, how important he was.
0: Yeah. Well, listen, uh, it was interesting reading uh, some of the stories you've written about this game, and I know there'll be more, but um, as we go along in the Tampa Bay Times on TampaBay.com, here's what I want to know. Because I watched this kid at Wisconsin for a couple years, and I'm here to tell you, Graham Mertz is a way better quarterback in Gainesville than he was in Madison. And I kind of want to know what is it you've seen about him that you would say, you know what, in a big game, if if things can, you know, can be blocked up well and you give him half a chance, he might be able to be really good against uh, even against a good Georgia team.
1: Well, you start with the experience. I, I think this is going to be his fortieth start or something like that. Oh um, wow! Yeah. It's, it's a bunch of starts. He's so he he is not going to be the moment is not going to be too big for him. He has he has not played in Florida, Georgia, but he's played in and you know the the uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and, and Wisconsin, Michigan, and some of those. And he was, talked about uh, this is a really good Georgia defense. And I've played good George good defenses before, like the the twenty one Michigan team that made the playoff and. Um, you look at something else that would give me confidence is 19 of 24 with a touchdown and no picks uh, against Tennessee. Again, I understand Tennessee and Georgia are a little bit different, but based on the sample size we have, that's a good, uh, that's a good comparison that if I'm a Florida fan, I'll look at that and say, yeah, okay. Um, I think the fact that he has learned how to not do too much. You know, we talked about with, with Jordan Travis earlier and kind of the, the, Pressure versus pleasure aspect of it. Graham wouldn't say this, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think he definitely felt some pressure when he was at Wisconsin. You know, you're highest quarterback recruit in the history of the program, and you know the, the way he started against Illinois, where he missed like one or two passes, all, all that stuff. And then it doesn't work for a bit. You 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 could It would be very easy to second-guess yourself. And I think he has really benefited from the fresh start at Florida and being able to be, you know, they're not asking him to be a superstar. They're asking him to go out and complete the passes. And, and he's been able to do that at a high clip. And do, does that mean he'll do it against Georgia? No. Georgia's defense is going to be the best he's faced. It's not as good as it was a couple of years ago but they got plenty of dudes. Um, So this will be a different type of challenge. Um, But I absolutely think he's got a puncher's chance of playing well here.
0: He's got some playmakers. And one of those is right from here in Tampa that you've written about in Eugene Wilson. How is this guy developing into one of the better receivers in college football?
1: Yeah, he is so explosive and he goes from zero to 60 so fast. It's, you know that my my buddy Edgar Thompson at the Orlando Sentinel compared him to Percy Harvin in that way, just how quick he gets up to gear. And wow, I, I see some Kadarius Tony there, and how they've been able to move him around in different places. And you know, once he gets this all put together, and it's going to take a year or two, like like any freshman, right? Um, but once it's going to click for him, it is going to click, and he's going to be really, really good. As it is right now, he is a, a versatile weapon obviously is different than than brock bowers they have different body types and all that but uh, the the ability to move him around and do different things with him that's something that is, is special about about eugene wilson um and i think he's got a chance to be an x factor here where if if florida's gonna win then i think he's gonna have to have a really big day and and there's going to have to be a busted coverage he takes advantage of or you know, a play where he just gets loose and makes three guys miss or something like that. So I, I think he's just going to be very – first of all, it's fun to watch. And secondly, I think if, if Florida's going to be able to do this, he's going to be have a big hand in why.
0: Tell me about Georgia. I'm still trying to figure out how we got here with Kirby Smart because he leaves Alabama and before long maybe he had the secret sauce or the special recipe or whatever. And there's been a lot of Nick Saban protégés that have gone other places and tried to do the same. But here's a guy who goes in there, and and you look at Georgia, and you look at the recruiting that they have done. You look at the, the dudes, as you say, that they have brought through that program. And what they're attempting to do, Matt, Even especially in today's college football, is rare, right? Like, it's rare. And so how did they get here, and how far away – do you think Florida might be? And you wrote about this a little bit too, from from matching that you know that recruiting uh, division that they might be.
1: So I remember um, before the the 2017 national championship, January 2018, I guess you could say um, the the Georgia Bama one in Alabama, uh, in, in Atlanta. Excuse me. Um, I remember talking to some people. Why was why was Florida 0-for-2 with Saban guys, It with McElwain and Muschamp? Um, But Florida State hired a, a Saban guy and Jim Bowen won the national title. And now here, Georgia was on the verge of a national championship with with their Saban guy. And, you know, they didn't win there, but obviously they've won the last two. And, and somebody told me he's the closest thing to Nick Saban other than Saban himself. And the more I've been around Kirby and... and you know, in various settings and, and watched his team. But I think there's a lot of truth to that. And just the way they strive for perfection in everything at all times, they're relentless, relentless, relentless for uh, commitment to recruiting. Uh, you know, there's no, you know, maybe you'll put Billy in there and urban when he was at Florida and Ohio state, but there are not a lot of guys, if any, who recruit as much as he does that are just as all in on that. And, um, That's why they've been able to stack elite recruiting class on top of elite recruiting classes to the point where, you know, A, they can get a guy like Brock Bowers and then they can lose him and still be 14 point favorites against one of the, you know, 20 most talented teams in the country in Florida. So that's the first thing that jumps out. And, And I think Kirby's evolved too, where you look at the way things were when he got there, he was trying to run Alabama light. Right, just that you know we're going to be really big and, and physical and on, on defense, and we're going to win with defense and running the ball, mm-hmm. and that evolved um, to where you know Stetson Bennett wasn't the most talented quarterback in the history of the game, but he threw the ball effectively the last couple of years, and you look at Carson Beck, where if I'm kind of thinking of some of the reasons i think george will win he's a big part of it he was a you know highly touted recruit and has played at a high level and kind of gotten better over his his first year as a starter here so i think that's one of the other things that jumps out about kirby is the way he has evolved and learned over time and and been able to change with it um and you know he got some of the uh early head coaching mistakes out of the way his first couple of years and there were some real head scratchers there that fake punt and against uh, Georgia, or excuse me, against Bama and what have you, but he's gotten to a point where, yes, he has the dudes, which is, that's the first battle, but he also develops them. He, he the guys who aren't the superstars, you know, um, Jordan Davis a couple years ago, the big defensive lineman, he wasn't a five-star. He was a three-star that Georgia saw, and we really like him. We get him. They make him a star. So he does that, and then just knowing how to deploy them, too. He's gotten exceptionally good at to the point where they don't have a ton of weaknesses. This is not an elite Georgia team the way it was the last couple years, but they're still clearly one of the best couple in the country and, uh, you know, deserving of being two touchdown favorites against Florida.
0: They are two touchdown favorites and uh, but this is a rivalry. And so you never know in college football. That's why we love the sport so much. Exactly. What's going to happen. If Florida were to pull the upset, there's a lot of scenarios that would have to go right. But what what do you think are the are the main ones?
1: The, the first thing I would say is there has to be some dumb Jacksonville magic. Um, this this is a series where there's been all sorts of crazy things over the years with, with trick plays and shenanigans and what have you. I think there would have to be some of that just because Florida doesn't have the, – the talent's not there. Um, right, right. Uh, and some turnover luck and what have you. Mm-hmm. But I think the other thing is I think Florida's run game is going to have to get going. Yeah. They're not a team that can beat you throwing the ball 50 times. I just don't think that that's their makeup that right. Billy has built this team, this roster where it's going to be a run game first with, with ETN and Montreal Johnson and a good offensive line. We haven't seen it all come together, but I think if it's going to happen or if Florida is going to beat Georgia, I think that needs to happen. Um, Again, I, I clearly don't think that that Florida is going to win. I you know I, I, I don't know about covering the spread or what have you. but I would pick Georgia to win. But I do think this game should be close. And I'm going to write about that in the coming days on, on Tampabay.com, but there's no reason this shouldn't be close. that Georgias really good and they could very well win the national championship. but the amount of talent they've lost from the last two teams, it's different. It's a, it's a new starting quarterback. Then you factor in the, the loss of Brock Bowers. Then you, you include, too, the fact that Florida's had a couple years, you know, this is, this is year two, and it's midway through year two at this point. If you're going to get him, this is a good time to do it if you're Florida. And I think last year, everybody understood if they're not competitive, okay, Georgia's a really, really good team. You got to coach in year one. Go back the year before. I think everybody knew that things were going south with Dan and the talent wasn't there. And again, it was a really, really good Georgia team. This Bulldogs team isn't that. And Florida should have a little bit of momentum, feeling good about themselves after Vandy and South Carolina. So if thing if they get blown out, which is, it's in the, it's possible, it's not a crazy possibility here, then that's going to be speak pretty poorly of where things are. But if Florida has a way to be competitive, having a one score game in the fourth quarter or something like that, then you can say, you know what, they're 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 not there yet, but they're getting there. And you can see how they can make that progress. It's
0: a great opportunity for Florida and it's a great rivalry. And you'll be there, of course, at Florida, Georgia. Before we get out of here, I just wanted to ask you about another sort of interesting matchup because uh it, it happened. Last week, and, and just to just to mention it, Miami
1: um, taking down Clemson. How significant was that for the Hurricanes? Very significant. Um, you know, you'll, you'll look at, obviously, the Georgia Tech debacle and then losing to North Carolina. If they were to lose that one, too, there'd be a lot of questions about where is this thing going, you know? Um, but they toughed it out. You know, they went along the lines of scrimmage in particular. And they didn't just... Beat Clemson, who had destroyed them the last several times. I, <laughs> I was at two of them. Uh, I think it was thirty-five to three or thirty-eight to three in the ACC championship, and fifty-eight nothing in Al Golden's last game. That's one of those scores that is just you know stuck in my head. I will never forget. Um, so to go in and win against Clemson, that on its own was good. Now you factor in some of the other issues here, right? Where uh, Parrish, one of their running backs, without and down a couple D linemen and Tyler Van Dyke's hurt all those things factor in and for them to, to go in and come back to the way they did. I think that's a sign that they're moving in the right direction. Um, it's, I'm not going to say that he was back. No, not, not doing it. Um, we've been burned too many times before thinking they're back and no, not there. And honestly, I thought the A and M win in some ways was bigger and we know what happened a couple weeks after that, but f- it's one of those things that is a big selling point for Mario that you can say, okay, this was a proof of concept that they can win the way he wants to win. And that maybe they're moving in the right direction. And Clemson on the other side of that is, is interesting too, just because you know, now they've lost three and yeah. they're, we knew they were not the Clemson of, of, Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. And now they're a step below that. And it took so much for them to get to where they were in that 2015 to 2020 range, give or take a year. And it's so easy to slip from that. And they have slipped and, you know, Dabo's getting a little, uh, interesting with his, with his choices and potentially kind of calling out fans a little bit. And you could see how this goes south. And, um, it, it's a, a fan base that's been spoiled and it's, I don't know. It's just it's they're going to be very interesting to see how they handle this and how they try to bounce back. You know, Dabo's not on the hot seat or anything like that. That's that's nonsensical. But I think the Clemson magic, that mystique, I think it was probably already slipping and I think after the what's happened so far this year already, I think that kind of magic's gone and now they're just another good team. Embrace
0: the transfer portal, Dabo. You just have to embrace the transfer portal. Yeah, he's, he's pushed back on a lot of things, and it's been some tough going at Clemson. But, uh, man, that, that program has been so great for so long, it seems, that you just can't believe it's going to stay down for long. All right, so he's Matt Baker. He's going to be at Florida, Georgia, one of the great college football rivalries of all time in Jacksonville. Matt, enjoy your drive. Uh, enjoy the stop at Stark at Wendy's, and uh, safe travels, <laughs> my man. We'll talk to you next week. It's a glamorous job. Thanks, Rick. <laughs> All right. My thanks to Matt Baker. It's going to be a great weekend of college football, Florida, Georgia. Really looking forward to that. Uh, congratulations to the Tampa Bay Lightning. They shut out the Carolina Hurricanes in what was kind of a scrappy game. A lot of fights, a lot of things going on there. Um, but uh, Jonas Johansson, of course, with a shutout, his second career shutout, did a heck of a job. And uh, Alex Bolay with a couple of goals. And uh, you know, or two goals this season. He has eight shots on goal this season. He's done a nice job, uh, and and had a goal in this one as well. So big win for the Lightning. Good to get the two points at home. Got to continue on now and see if they can stack that and start stacking some wins. But you know, goaltending, of course, when you lose somebody like Andre Vasilevsky, you're con- you're concerned about it. But Johansson was outstanding and and gets the shutout. So uh, that was pretty cool to see. As well, The Bucks will continue preparations today. They are going to practice, uh, and when I say practice, I mean a walkthrough because that's all you can do when you're trying to come off uh, a, a quick short week with a Thursday night football game. Um, but they will walk through, and then they will travel to Buffalo today and, of course, uh, play tomorrow night, Thursday night football against the Buffalo Bills uh, and see if they can uh, get back on the winning side of things Things there, 3-3. Three and three in this young season so far. My thanks to Matt Baker again. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.